welcome to Gutsy Matters Podcast, brought to you by storednaturally.com. I'm Wendy Allen. And I'm Helen Reynolds. Gutsy Matters Podcast is for independent thinkers who aren't afraid to stand out from the crowd. Our conversations are with people who, like us, are willing to create something they believe in, something that helps us all to live more sustainably, more consciously, and with greater connection. We're delighted you're joining us to discover, uncover, and create opportunities and perspectives about health, wealth, and sustainable living. We're delighted to have Robert Bell here with us today. Thank you, Robert, for joining us. Well, thanks for the opportunity to come along and spread my passion for industrial hemp. Well, like you, we're proud to be part of the hemp industry because we believe that it is the most sustainable fibre crop with the greatest number of uses, and we're looking forward to talking with you about this. Yes, it is a remarkable plant. Well, let us introduce you just a little bit more so the listeners um, are, are right here with us. You're helping to connect and foster the Australian hemp industry to grow into the significant industry that it should be through the Australian Industrial Hemp Conference, otherwise known as the Hemp Event, which you founded and run every two years in different regions of Australia. Before that, you were the Vice Chairman of the Technical Textile and Non-Woven Association, whose purpose is to nurture and promote technological innovations in the textile and textile-related sectors in Australasia. And you've had extensive experience with both synthetic and natural textiles. So that's right where I'd like to begin this conversation on the topic of textile or fabric production in Australia. Because we're often asked if we use Australian hemp and we explain that currently Australia has neither the quantity of hemp nor the technology to make hemp textiles to the quality that we demand for our product. However, as we prepared for this conversation, you mentioned that it would only take an investment of about $5 million to bring the textile industry back to Australia. So please, would you tell us more? And we'd love to know how long since we've grown and woven and produced natural textiles in Australia and why aren't we still doing it? And is there any interest in bringing it back? So there's about 10 questions in one. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, well, there still is a small industry, but since the 1980s, the the industry went offshore. There's a significant interest to start afresh here. And IAMP is ideal for this renaissance as the fibre is very light, it would be ideal to process within about 200 kilometres of growing. So really, it's brilliant for um, rural development. Uh, I reckon that a simple way to kickstart the industry uh, is to convince government procurement to replace the black woven polypropylene weed matting we have with an eco-friendly, sustainable product that only needs to be laid down, does not need to be removed. And after a few years... It doesn't need to be disposed of. And while it's in situ, it's actually doing good stuff for the soil and the environment. That's a great idea. So can you just explain what non-woven weed matting is? Like the first non-woven fabric that I thought of when you said that was those um, like green reusable shopping bags from Coles or lots of other major chains use that non-woven stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, If you think of... um a, a thin uh, bat, um, you know, insulation bat. Uh, that would be what your weed matting would look like, but it, it would be a lot thinner than a insulation bat. It's made the same way. It's, it's, um, 
it basically goes from fiber to finished article. You don't have to prepare yarn. You don't have to do warping. You don't have to do weaving. You can just put it onto a machine as a fiber, and at the other end, it comes out in a mat form, in a, in a woven form, a usable form. Sorry. Currently, we're using a polyester for that on our ground for weed matting. A polypropylene we use. We import. We hundred percent import a woven black polypropylene fabric, and we place that down. And then the uh, it suppresses the weeds. It doesn't allow water to run through. It doesn't do any good to the environment. And after two years, it starts degrading, and you have to take it up and put it down again. Uh, with um, uh, uh, industrial hemp weed matting, you would uh, basically put it down. Uh, it, it would absorb moisture, it would absorb carbon, it would convert that into nutrients for the soil, and it would degrade over a period of time, and then you would just put some more on it so you wouldn't have the inconvenience of taking it up and paying to have it put into landfill or disposing of it in some other way, whatever that is. After two, three, maybe five years, you have to replace it with some more matting on top, which again goes back into the soil. So, um, you know, to, to me, that if, if the government procurement would start purchasing that in, say, two years' time, we would have a, an industry in Australia where we could grow the product and process it and uh, increase the rural development of, the, of Australia. And in fact, we could actually then start looking to export. Wow. And sounds like it could be used to renew rural um, townships, you know, if it needs to be processed within 200 kilometres of growing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And if, if you think about rural townships, we've already got the infrastructure there. We've already got the railways going through when they used to collect wheat and whatever, you know, and um, other agricultural products at the stations. So... In the middle of nowhere, you'll come across a station with some silos at the side of it and a railway track. So the infrastructure's in place. Oh, and and all we need to do is put the processing into place. The people can grow it. A lot of areas have got uh, irrigation there already. And it uses, I mean, industrial hemp uses, um, what, an eighth of the water that cotton uses for the same sort of yield. So... To me, it's it's just logical that, that we go down this track, especially now we're looking to revitalise the industry after we've been knocked for six with uh, COVID. So hopefully there is some innovative mayors of regional towns listening and uh, looking for <laughs> looking for a, a, a new project to, uh, to get some investment and, and boost their economy. I, I think it would be a great idea and I can think of numerous places that would be ideal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, we. I'm the same down here. I'm, in fact, I've been lo- talking to uh, the local shires and the local councils, and um, the uh, one shire in with the water, um, local water supplier, has actually put grey water into some of the rural areas, uh, and um, so the water's there ready now, and they're just wanting to take the next step, which is, you know, starting to produce the uh, to grow the hemp, and then take it from there and start processing it. And it's that, that's your your cost is your five million dollars for your processing is the cost. So um, you know it's it's well within within two years we could be doing it, and as I say, we could we could have a thriving industry. So how far then from there to a textile industry? You know, into a woven fabric that we might make into our fresh produce enhancers, or into a shirt, or a skirt, or a tablecloth, or something. 
Well, once you've got the interest going and you're, you're starting processing and, and you've processed your fibre from your herd, which is the stalk of the um, the plant, the um, industrial hemp plant, you, the herd can be used in hempcrete and the fibre then you can use in fabric. Now, when you've separated your fibre there, um, people will, as they did 200 years ago, start producing hemp clothing again. I mean, uh, if you go, certainly uh, being being down here in Geelong and you go into the Geelong Chamber of Commerce, they have all these lovely photographs and pictures and paintings on the walls of the big ships going back to the UK full of hemp that we used to grow in in Victoria and we used to grow in the Hunter Valley to keep to supply the ships in uh, in the UK. So it would just be bringing back what we already what we did years ago. Lots of people have told us that, but I um I've never seen it. I guess haven't seen those pictures. But can you tell us more about you know how well suited hemp is to our Australian climate for growing? Yeah, we're the only country in the world that can grow it 365 days a year. So we can supply the world every day of the year with hemp if we grow it. We can we can grow it from the southern tip of uh, yeah the southern tip of uh, Tasmania up to the African tablelands, and it's already being grown there. And as we speak, um, the Northern Territory are considering which varieties they are going to trial uh, for their end use. And their end use they're looking at is both grain and uh, fibre and herd. It does require irrigation, is that correct? Can't be grown dry land as a dry land crop? Well, it, it can be grown, grown as a dry land crop in certain areas, but um, uh, it needs some irrigation, especially in the early stages once you plant off planting. But when you say irrigation, it, it, as I say, it's, uh, it uses like about an eighth of the water that we would use growing cotton. And I guess it just depends on the agricultural area and their rainfall, whether it can be completely grown dry land or whether it does need some irrigation. That's right, yes. yes. I mean, southern, if you look at southern Western Australia, they have been growing some without irrigation, so well, and quite successfully. And if you look around our area down on the Bellarine Peninsula and Tasmania, a lot of that's uh, grown without irrigation. So what would it take to actually bring a textile industry? I mean, we talked about industrial hemp and, and the uses. I mean, that weed mat idea seems a very quick and, and simple solution. So to actually get it to be a, a textile industry, because obviously Victoria and, and around where you are was a big uh, textile area uh, in terms of production for, for a range of different textiles, not only hemp, in years gone by, and that's all, all gone offshore. What would it take to get a textile industry up and running, particularly for hemp, which we're interested in, but but for other textiles as well. Well, we'd just have to bring back some of the um, technology that we've allowed to go overseas, and we still have, uh, at the moment, <laughs> we still have uh, some of the expertise that that were in the that was in the textile industry uh, to get it up and running. There's a classic example in Geelong, which uh, was a company that make. Um, Paper, paper machine manufacturing, they make the textiles that go onto those, the belts that go onto those. And they closed the company down, and within 18 months, they had to reopen. And they were, they're now working 24-7, 364 days of the year. They have Christmas Day off. 
and half of uh, Good Friday off. But the rest of the time they work 365 days of a year because they tried to produce the products elsewhere around the world and the um, the uh, delivery times just went through the window and they went out to 18 months and people couldn't afford to wait 18 months for their industrial belts to put back on the machines and get the presses running again. So, um, you know, that's a classic example and that happened in the late... Uh, early 2000s actually so that was a significant move it closed for 18 months and then reopened and is you know going along quite nicely now and there's there's other little industries small industries in and around Geelong have started to reopen and are increasing production but um, it would be a slower process it would be 10 years and we'd be back to where we should be. What's the barrier besides money, <laughs> to to getting the industries back up and running? Well, the reason I started the conference was that the growers weren't growing because they couldn't find the end market, and the end market uh, wasn't buying hemp because there wasn't enough of it. So I thought, well, this really needs a full supply chain conference so that everybody can get to know everybody and work ways to get the solutions working. And that's that's where we're at now. Now, looking at an investment to, if we we could put a processing plant in Geelong um, to process every bit of fibre that's produced in Australia in a year, and that plant one plant would do that. Uh, so it's uh, it with modern technology, it, it would be um, the early stage processing that you would do rurally, and then bring the fibre once you can compact it down to make it into yarn, bring it into maybe two or three central points around Australia to um, to process it into fibre, from the fibre into yarn, and then to start weaving again and, and uh, probably all the exciting things that I'm into, which is designing fabrics and weaving and um, the finishing of the cloths, which is the ultimate um, place where we make the cloths beautiful for everybody wanting to wear them. Wow. Tell us a little bit more about that. And not a lot of people understand the, the sort of the textile process. <laughs> oh, well, if you go back a million years when I started in industry, <laughs> uh, my, my, my first career, I was uh, a, tech, I'm a textile designer by trade. So oh, what I did then was I used to design fabric for people to wear. Um, and I used to design my, I did a range of uh, fabrics for the Japanese um, Sports jacking, jacking market, and all that was made out of hemp, and that would be uh, 50, 50, year, 50 odd years ago now. Uh, so uh, we had to source the fiber. I had to get the fiber uh, spun into the correct thickness of yarn that I wanted for the, the menswear garments. Then we had to dye it uh, so we could weave it uh, with the color in it, and then we'd warp it, weave it, and then finish it, make it nice and soft so you could wear it. And, uh, yeah, that was, as I said, that was 55, 60 years ago, well, 55 years ago now. So uh, I, I did that for the first 20 years of my career, and then I started making uh, industrial fabrics, highly specified industrial fabric for the filtration and uh, separation industry, which went, lots of it went into mining and refining, and there's a lot of fabric used which people don't realize, but there's a lot of fabric used in the conversion of bauxite into alumina and then smelted into aluminium. So, uh, And I used to design all the fabrics for that. 
uh, and now I run conferences for the industrial hemp industry because I believe that industrial hemp is the one of the significant futures for the world and more importantly for Australia. Wow. And in the 20 years when you were designing the fabrics for the menswear, did you see the transition in that time from hemp to cotton or hemp to linen or, or even polyester? Uh, yeah, so from hemp to uh, man-made fibre. Unfortunately, yeah, we had this uh, revolution in the 50s when everybody thought we'll just dig up oil and convert oil into whatever we want to convert it into. And uh, they never realised uh, in those days, you know, what what, uh, what damage we were doing or what damage we were going to do in the future. So we just um, mentally went along our way and disregarded the 3,000 years before that when we'd been using hemp in a million different, uh, or in every product you can think. I mean, in Italy, they've just discovered, well, recently, a, a bridge that is over 3,000 years old that is built out of hempcrete or hemp. So, you know, people are still going over this bridge, so, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, that is amazing. And, and, you know, if you look at hemp uh, and the hempcrete, which uh, is, is one of the low-hanging fruits, if you want to put it that way, for um, industrial hemp to get it established. But hempcrete, you know, you build a house out of hemp and it's still in a carbon sequestrant for about 30 years of its life while it's a house. So it's still doing good for the environment while you're living in it. And, you don't, you know, there's no mould, uh, it's antibacterial, it's um, flame-resistant to a certain degree, um, is the hempcrete. And you've got a house to live in that's you know doing doing amazing things for the environment while saving you heating bills because it's you save about 20% on your heating and cooling bills over a year using hemp so i think the the herd and the hempcrete would be the first cab off the rank and then people would look at textiles and interestingly enough 18 months ago, I, the, uh, the Chinese government were in um, in Australia looking for supply of hemp because they hadn't got enough hemp for their uh, their soldiers to all wear hemp socks. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that we've been telling people about how high the demand is for really high quality hemp textiles, and um, most people sort of think we're trying to. Um, pull the wool over their eyes, but there, there is a huge demand over there for hemp fabrics. Oh yeah, I mean yes, I mean I'd love to get an order to give the um, the Chinese army one pair of or five pair of socks each for each soldier. It'd be a huge order, you know, absolutely massive. And and they get hemp, they put they wear the socks, and the reason they wear uh, socks made out of hemp is that uh, they don't get any any foot rot or any disease because it's antimicrobial and uh, you can um, a friend of mine I mean I don't I don't believe him I, I, sorry, I don't stand close enough to find out but a friend of mine says <laughs> that you can wear you can wear a hemp t-shirt for three weeks without it needing washing because it's um, it kills the bacteria that uh, makes you gives your body odor so there you go <laughs> but uh, you know I uh, I must admit the hemp clothing that I've got, uh, I've got hemp trousers and hemp shirts, and they're 
they are pretty good. I think I think it, it has a great future, and I think it, it's a renaissance that Australia should be participating in. Um, let's and, and the reason I, I'm pushing the weed matting is that gets the growers interested because the volumes are there for the growers to significantly grow their hemp, and then we can from that we can develop other things. I mean. Um, if you look at BMW, there's, uh, they have 23 kilos of hemp in some of their cars. And it's not just in the textile area, it's, it's actually in the bodywork, it's actually the panels. Cars can be made out of it now. Uh, I have a colleague in, in America and he's got a, a hemp guitar and amplifier. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> and I'm working with a group in, uh, in Western Australia who are making uh, kayaks out of um, sort of hemp, uh, well, fiberglass, I suppose it is, but it's a hemp com- uh, composite. So you've got a, a hemp for your strength in the base and then they put, they put on their, um, their additives to turn them into uh, kayaks and surfboards and caravans. You know? So hemp has just got so many uses that why should it turn us back on it? So we really enjoyed our conversation with Georgina Wilkinson a few weeks ago. We love the um, homes that her husband Gary is building from Hempcrete and with all the properties that you were talking about earlier and that they're, you know, they're working to really help expand the industrial hemp industry in the Margaret River region of WA. Yeah, they certainly are. I mean, uh, in fact, uh, around our area in Kington, which um, in uh, regional Victoria, uh, I have a friend of mine, and she actually runs a bed and breakfast. And the building that people stay in is made out of hemp. And when you go to bed, you're sleeping on hemp sheets. And when you have a shower, you use hemp soap and hemp um, conditioner and shampoo. Get dried on hemp towels. Uh, you sit at your hemp table eating breakfast, which has got hemp on it if you want it. <laughs> and then you look out into the paddock, and you see the hemp growing. So uh, you know she she does everything. And also, we've uh, she supplies a local brewery that makes hemp beer, and uh, and the gin isn't bad either. Uh, and uh, also, also hemp flavored ice cream. So you know, it's amazing. And I think that's probably the problem, Robert, isn't it? That people just don't understand the things that can be made from the hemp plant and various parts of the hemp plant, as you were explaining earlier. It's not just fabric or it's not just hempcrete. There's so many different things. And I think that's probably some of the education we need to get across to people of, of what an amazing plant it is and what it can do for the environment and for everybody in, in a sustainable way. Definitely. I mean, I often tell people that um, the industrial hemp plant is only, uh, the products that you can make from it is only curtailed by your imagination and you know it seems to be true I've, I have a friend in Canada who yeah, makes um, batteries, he's working on a, a, a wall that's made out of hemp which will transfer the heat and energy from that into a battery that's under under the floor uh, to become so sufficient and just using hemp which is an amazing thought, I mean um, unbelievable that sounds way more sustainable than a solar panel. Oh, definitely. I mean, well, solar panels really, uh, yeah, they're a great idea. I mean, in in Melbourne, I had a uh, 
I was in contact with a guy who used to make a lot of tent material, tent fabrics and things like that. And, and he actually started and moved into a paint that you can paint just onto an ordinary house. And that gives you, um, it works like a solar power. If you put it out, you paint your roof. It's quite incredible what they're doing these days. And the other thing that I find really, really fascinating is that a lot of the companies that are in the big infrastructure and, you know, you'll be driving down the road and somebody will be expanding the, extending the road and you see these rolls of white material going down and that's all geosynthetic, so it's, it's all made out of, you know, synthetic product. But uh, they are seriously now, there's a company in Queensland that seriously now looking at uh, going back to natural fibre. And top of their list would be hemp if there was sufficient hemp for them. That, I would say, would be a reality to some degree in Australia within the next five years. They are actually uh, putting together a plan now to convince government to buy their product if it was made out of natural fibre. Just between, I mean, that industry in terms of road production or road renovation and, and all of those things and the weed matting and the applications that that has in agriculture, I mean, those two products alone... Yep. would revolutionise so many areas and, uh, yeah, it would be fantastic, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, of course it would. I mean, it, you don't, people don't hear about that, you know, there are, there's a Dutch company growing hemp on the edges of the Sahara Desert to reduce the Sahara Desert. Chernobyl, when they, after the problem at Chernobyl, the uh, hemp started growing there and there's now wildlife playing about around Chernobyl without having two heads or three eyes. There's hemp there. Um, we're talking to uh, some of the uh, significant um, mining corporations now about uh, when they close a mine site or when they close down uh, a refinery or whatever, how to um, reclaim the land quicker. And they're all looking at the idea of putting hemp down. It, it's there, it's coming. It's It's been slow up to 2017 when uh, Australia and New Zealand said we could use it in product. Uh, for human consumption up to that point it was very slow but since then we've we've moved ahead in leaps and bounds really and there are there are a lot of licensed growers now who unfortunately got hit by droughts and then uh, bushfires so didn't didn't use the licenses but the the licenses are in place the regulations are there the regular you know, the people who uh, ensure the regulations are maintained are there so that part of the infrastructure is there. What we need, as I say, in my opinion, what we need now, first off, first cab off the rank, get um, governments at all levels, their procurement people to say, right, we're going to procure Australian-made from Australian product weed matting, and we're going to make it out of hemp, and we're going to reduce the carbon footprint of our industry because of this, and uh, we're going to become a significant global player. Why don't they do it? <laughs> Exactly. What kind of volume of the polypropylene weed matting are we currently using? Tons and tons and tons and tons. They're producing that weed matting six metres wide and they will be producing it in excess of uh, 1,300 metres uh, a minute. So they're producing masses of it and it's going. it's all being shipped from Asia around the world. So it, there is absolutely masses of it 
and the only time you see it is when you're driving along and you see this little bit of hillside or whatever and there's a black splodge in it and that's because the you see in the polypropylene so it's just um yeah it it's phenomenal the amount of synthetic fabric or fiber that goes into the environment or into into the soil nowadays is uh, just it's mind-blowing really yeah and even just in um regular clothing waste the amount of polyester there and synthetics is mind-blowing yes i mean um i was a few years ago i was involved with um recycling of textiles and uh, one of the problems there is that they'll get a cotton t-shirt and they'll sew it with polyester so it, you can't recycle it because then you've got a mixed fiber and you know you you've got to get rid of the polyester somewhere uh, or they'll uh, they'll dye it with something that's not very nice or you know and, and you just can't recycle it the only thing you can do and if if you think of corporate wear and the amount of people have corporate wear now i mean it's all polyester. We must, be a stupid, we must be stupid people because <laughs> we, see this sign that, we see this big sign that says McDonald's and then we go into the shop and everybody's got a who works there, got a uniform on saying, hey, you've come into McDonald's. Well, we know we've come into McDonald's. We saw the sign outside. So <laughs> why, don't they just, why, why don't they just wear a coloured clothing and, and take the name McDonald's off and then we've got a product that could be made to be recyclable instead of made now to be thrown into landfill because they can't sell it to other countries because they don't want people walking around in Africa with a McDonald's t-shirt in or a ANZ t-shirt on or a Hungry Jacks or Surf Lifesavers. I mean, they all have the problem when they get a new sponsor. They've got thousands and thousands of products that they have to dispose of and the only way they can do it or have been doing it is through landfill. And that's the problem with the weed matting and all of that. I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a big environmental issue. I mean, so many places in, in agriculture you see even the plastic that they put down for some particular vegetable crops. It's, it's just then rolled up and what do they do with it? And if they burn it, that affects the environment equally as much as if they put it in landfill. Exactly, yeah. The solution's looking them in the face. We just have to get it out there and educate them. Uh, again, that's one of the reasons for the conference is uh, the education of it. So just getting back to tin tax in terms of, obviously we need growers to grow the crop here in Australia yep. to actually have an industry. So we need government to be on board and to, to push the issue to, to get $5 million and more to build the processing plants. If I was a grower or a, someone in agriculture wanting to grow hemp, what steps do they have to take? You, you were talking about licences just before as well. So how? what do you do? You have to apply for a licence in, in whichever state or territory you're in and go through all the, the hoops, and which are, you know, they're not insignificant, but, but they aren't too rigorous. You know, it's just like growing anything else. I mean, you know, people just think if you talk about hemp, everybody thinks, oh, it will get stoned, we'll smoke and get stoned. Well. The stuff you can you can smoke grows about two two to three foot high, and the stuff that we're talking about grows to fourteen fifteen foot high. So it's quite easy to see what you're doing. And the regulators are really well organised. I mean, they know what they're doing, and they know that they have to come out and test the um, the crop to make sure it's got no more than the required uh, THCs, which uh, and that's the stuff that gets you started. 
and if it's got less than it's sort of about between 0.3 and 1 in depending on which state you're in and they'll come out and check that they'll, they'll help you most states will help you do all the regulatory work and fill in the forms that you have to fill in to do it uh, but it, it's like with any any crop you're growing or you know if you if you're growing chickens or whatever, you've got to go through regulatory bodies and, and agree with their their restrictions. I mean, one of the restrictions we have is in Victoria is it hasn't to be seen from a, a main highway, you know, because of the stigma of the four-foot-tall plant. So the licence annual fee, is that what they would pay or do, do they, once they're, once they're certified, it's okay? It varies from state to state again. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but but um, the the test work is every time you have a crop, so they have to come out and test it, and that costs you. And so it, it costs twelve hundred dollars a year for your licensing and your testing and everything. Uh, and they do try. Most states do try to accommodate this. We are discussing with Queensland at the moment to um, relax their. Um, Fee structure somewhat, but uh, other than that, they, you know, they they just um, they change you by kilometre, and most hemp would be ideal to be grown in, you know, significant rural areas. So, if your regulator's not in a rural area, you get hammered with you know, 35 cents a kilometre or whatever the charge, and that soon mounts up. So, if they're coming out to do two crops a year, that be that will build up. And what about after the industrial hemp crop is harvested? Are there um, sort of regulations um, regarding the hemp, you know, like the THC and so on, any regulations that then need to be met? Uh, no, no, they, they, they test it at harvest time and they make sure that your THCs are right. And once your TH, once it's been harvested, obviously it's not going to increase. Um, um, and then, you know, you, you do whatever you do with it then. You know, they store it and... And uh, for a few weeks or whatever you want to do. Yeah, it makes logical sense. I just wanted to check it hadn't gone over for you know. Is there's a so there's just so much stigma about the crop that's really unnecessary. Oh, definitely. I mean, it, it's um, uh, the funny thing was in you know if you go back to the 1930s when uh, the world decided to ban hemp because of it, its theoretical THC effects. Uh, I mean, realistically, you need 17% THC in the in the crop for it to have any effect on your mind. Uh, below that, it just gives you a headache. So you can see why it happened, really. If you think, you know, the, the 30s in in America, that everybody could go back to drinking and making alcohol, so they got rid of all those people, and the, all the all the people who were going around burning the crops for for uh, making alcohol and things like that, were all out of work. And then the the German chemical people said, oh, yeah, and the, and you've got all this hemp growing, and that's the same. So the same people who were burning the, the crops for making alcohol can go and burn all these crops. So we better ban hemp. So they banned the whole of hemp. And then come the Second World War, they had nothing to, to, cl- to clothe the American army. So the Americans said, grow hemp again while the war's on. So they had to start growing it again. And then after the war, it stopped again. But uh, they never connected that, hey, clothing isn't the same. You know, I'm not going to go and smoke my shirt. So <laughs> it just never never worked out that way with the people. But, that, you know, I mean, you can see why it happened and you can see why it's taking so long to to come back. I mean, they are trying to make synthetic CBDs and TH, uh, THC stuff in, 
in the big chemical companies who sort of have significant power in the world at the moment. Yeah, I wrote a really extensive blog about that quite a few years ago, but I think the history, you know, it's it's a historical document, so the blog still captures some of what, well, all of what you were just explaining. So for listeners who are interested, it's it's on the Stored Naturally website. Yeah, I mean, I, I just see Australia. Australia could and should be the significant world player in the iHemp space, and if it's done right, and we're doing it right because... We're setting up the regulatory stuff there. So what we're doing is, in effect, we're getting um, provenance into place to start with. So, you know, all the all the great people around the world now will realise that, hey, we can still exist in a nice way and we still can look after our world and the environment, can see, they can, they can ask the questions and say, well, where did this seed come from? And we're... we're we're putting in place provenance now so that we can say, well, that seed was grown here at this time. And this, this is where that, that, and eventually this is where that, that pair of socks came from, or this, that is where that shirt came from. And we'll be able to trace it right back to the seed. So, uh, you know, we'll have the right provenance in place and we'll make sure that all the uh, E's are crossed and the I's are dotted. That reminds me of the, the company called Icebreaker, who are doing that with merino wool. You know, you can scan, yep. take the number that's on the tag in your shirt and pop, pop it into their website and see which animal grew the wool that you're now wearing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the same. Ag, uh, there's a company in, based in Geelong called Ag Live, and they do the same for the meat industry. So, you know, the... Um, Australian meat industry, uh, beef industry has got their system in place so that you can tell where your burger came from or whatever. And that's happening so yeah, in a lot of agriculture and I think it's it's a great thing yeah. because then people can, can see where it originated from and, and follow the story and it, it's, you know, in marketing the stories, um, so yeah. much part of the message and people want to know where their food comes from or where their clothing's made or manufactured exactly. in the and the fibres grown and that sort of thing as well, So, which is, which is great. So let's hear your vision for the industrial hemp, or you mentioned before, I just want to clarify for listeners, the iHemp industry is the industrial hemp industry. So share your vision for the Australian industrial hemp industry. Well, we're, we're, we're growing at the moment. A lot of the trials that we're growing, we're growing for... Um, grain and or fibre and herd. So there are specific seeds that will grow for grain or the specific seeds you can grow for fibre and herd. And we're trying to, we're growing a combined seed so we can get all the lot from one plant. So the farmer goes out, he cuts off his, his uh, flowers and leaves from the top, which start being processed, cuts all his stalks, puts them through his decorticator to separate the fibre from the herd and there's been decorticators now developed that don't need the crop to lay for three days uh, retting so that they can separate the gunk out because it's sort of glued together with uh, pectins and things. Uh, and then uh, and then they dig up the roots and they use those as well. So they use 100% of what they put down and uh, they get a crop within, they can have a crop within 90 days from growing, from planting to harvesting and they can plant on the same piece of land again so theoretically you can get three crops a year um, off one spot of land and there's been areas that have had 
up to 18 crops grown on the same same plot of land uh, without any detriment. So um, what I see is we see the, the industry where the farmers are growing hemp even as a rotational crop uh, and getting significant results and getting significant results on whatever they're putting afterwards because of the nutrients that the hemp is putting into the soil. And then the plant gets used for, well, at the moment you get you get the easy stuff like the soaps and creams and everything else and the, the seed. So the, the early stage processing is giving you uh, your whole seed that you can buy from your supermarkets now. It's sold in all the major supermarket chains, hemp oil, hemp seeds. Uh, the one thing you can't do is you, you can't cook with uh, hemp oil like you can with olive oil because hemp oil actually doesn't um, doesn't get hot enough, so you can't do that. But I see that the whole plant's used. We're building with hemp because we've got um, an inherent flame retardant product, so uh, it, it would give you more chance if there was a bushfire of getting out alive before it burnt and fell on top of you. And um, from the fibre, you get the weed matting, you get uh, insulation, and then you move into fabrics. And then we supply, we could supply hemp, we could supply fibre, herd, or whatever around the world and become a significant player in a product that we could, we will know because of the regulations we're putting in now will be a, a consistent product and we can work and Syro have done some amazing work with uh, with the cotton industry and they, they are willing and in fact they are chomping at the bit to get involved in, in the, well they are involved in the hemp industry and we can do consistent product uh, with which is superior to what's happening around the world and the world's wanting to buy off us. We've had the Canadians wanting to buy off us, we've had the Chinese wanting to buy off us and we would be the global leader in the hemp world, uh, but that won't happen in my lifetime. Well, I think we need to get Scott Morrison and Minister Littleproud on the phone right now, Robert, and, and get some things happening. Yeah, well, I have, I have, uh, I have written to them on uh, several occasions. Um, but, um, you know, the Victorian government, they set up a um, task force, and they, they've just, had a, just released their uh, interim report. Uh, which landed on my desk a couple of days ago, so I haven't sat down and read it yet. But it's uh, so that, you know the the governments are looking at it. Western Australia is very strong. Yes. South Australia is very strong. We've just had Queensland coming on and seeing what they can do, and they've they've uh, been in touch with the Australian Industrial Hemp Alliance, which is uh, the peak body, and I'm, I'm a member of that. And they've been in touch with us for some guidance. And as I said, the Northern Territory have been in touch. They've got a couple of ideas. One is to grow the plant to become a seed repository because they've got basically the ideal conditions with the the wet and with the, with the wet season of growing the plant without any irrigation or whatever. And but they could grow the seeds and become a seed bank for the world. And they're already looking at it. As I said, they're looking at it. Queensland are looking at it. New South Wales have been doing it. South Australia have just uh, released their um, interim report on the first three three or four years trials they've done on, on the, the hemp seeds they've been growing. Uh, so, yeah, it's there. It's there. All we've got to do is convince everybody it's there. Everybody's looking at it now massively. We should be leading the world. It's going to change the world if it's done correctly. 
because what what will happen is that a lot of the countries that the third world countries could grow hemp and uh, it will give them a economic boost so that they could move forward and uh, get out of this well, well pit that they're in, they're going down and down in the eddy, then get out of it and actually do something about it by growing a sustainable product that's good for the environment, it's sustainable and you know it's just amazing, you can do whatever you want with it and it ain't going to go back into landfill because even even the plant pots that people make now, if you grind them up after you've made a hemp plant pot and put it on your soil, it's going to the nutrients are going to go back into the soil well, that's a beautiful vision. Sounds like a much better way to change the world than COVID. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your vision and sharing so much detail about the Australian hemp industry. I think it's been a really wonderful overview and introduction probably for many listeners um, and filled yeah. in blanks for others. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm by no means an expert. I'm just a man with a passionate vision for the industry and uh, I'm trying to do what I can to make it happen while I'm still on this earth, really. And uh, so, we, you know, as I said, we've, we've got the third conference coming up and we've had one in Geelong, the first one, which, uh, just do a little plug now, the first one was uh, 17% oversubscribed. We anticipated 200 people. We got 230 people. The second one we uh, was over in Fremantle just before COVID hit us. Uh, we missed. We had 46 people from China pulled out because of it. But uh, other than that, we increased his turnover there again by uh, another 20%. So we were thereabouts. And the next one is in 2022, and we'll be in Tasmania, um, which there's a great link because when we were in Fremantle, we had one of the presenters was sat in his tractor in Tasmania, taking, doing his harvest while presenting at a conference in Fremantle, which is amazing. That's fantastic. Yep. Well, thank you very much. It's been yeah very enlightening for a lot of people, I think, and, and getting a bit more in-depth of, of what the vision for Australia could be. And um, my only suggestion is to people with some power and influence to... Um, yeah, to get busy because we need to do it in Australia. I think it would be wonderful for the whole of the Australian yep. economy and um, the agriculture industry and the textile industry. And if we don't do it, you can sure as bet that somebody yep. else will before too long. Mm. So there's a window of opportunity where Australia can, can make its mark in the world in the hemp industry. And we've done some significant stuff because the Canadians who are about 17 years in front of us in their development they're actually passing on their their mistakes so that we don't make the same mistakes as they did, so which is brilliant. Mm. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for, for being on the Gutsy Matters podcast. No problem at all. And if you want any follow-up at any time, you can either speak to myself or Georgina. I'm sure we'll both be more than happy to pass on whatever we know. Of course. Well, we've had an absolute lovely conversation and uh, thank you, Robert. If you've enjoyed this conversation and know people who'd be interested in knowing more about this topic, then show them you care and send them the link to this podcast. To keep up with our Gutsy Matters conversations, subscribe and share with your friends. For extras, follow Stored Naturally on Facebook and Instagram. Gutsy Matters podcast is brought to you by Stored Naturally. We are the creators of the all-natural hemp fresh produce enhancer, for longer-lasting, 
and healthier fresh food kept in the fridge. Available at storednaturally.com.